Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners. <laughs> Mindy. Um, this is Kristen Floor, and I'm bringing you the news right from the front lines of the Voices of the Cannabis War. Um, I am not by myself. I am bringing the news with you, uh, with Eugene Fisher, uh, who spent 25 years of a life sentence, and also Mindy Griffiths, who is the producer of the show, who just believes simply that nobody should go to jail for a plant. Um, this radio show is brought to you right now by CCHI uh, Network Radio, um, who sponsored the platform for us to be able to bring these voices to you. And we have um, many volunteers. We all come for free every Sunday morning to let you know what's going on. Uh, Becca is also a volunteer on the show who will be joining us for the second part of the show, and she'll be helping screen the show. Uh, first, the show is about spirituality in prison. Um, and we're going to talk to uh, Joe Valverde first. He was in prison with Eugene, and Joe Valverde spent 22 years in prison. And we're going to find out how um, spirituality got Eugene and Joe through prison and how it affected their prison sentence. Um, after that, we're going to hear from Craig, Craig Cecil about 930. And we're going to he's serving a life sentence. He risks calling into our show every single Sunday just to tell us what's going on in prison and to get his voice heard. Um, and what is he risking? He's risking lockdown. Um, or not lockdown, but he's risking the hole. And if you listen to last week's show, you'll find out how miserable the hole is. So uh, Craig will be calling in about 9.30. Like I said, it's his 13th year of his life sentence. And at 9.45, we're going to talk to George Monterano in Georgie's Corner. George Monterano is a legendary man who spent so much time in prison with Eugene um, while Eugene spent his 25 years, George was working on his 33 years. George and Eugene are very, very close friends in prison. And George calls into our radio show every single week. So we're going to get his his take on spirituality in prison and how it helped get him through his 33 years of being incarcerated. And at 10 o'clock, we're going to talk to somebody that Eugene is just loves to death. Her name is Jane Davis. And Jane... Why he loved her so much is because she worked in the prisons for years, and, and Eugene knows her right from the prison. She is a prison minister. She visited state and federal prisons holding service for Jewish, Jewish uh, ceremonies and other religious types of prisoners as well. Um, she's also worked with death row prisoners all across the United States. Um, and she does some amazing things. Eugene just loves her to death, and so we're going to talk to her at 10 o'clock and find out from an expert, an actual uh, prison minister, about um, about spirituality. And then at 10.25, we're going to talk to Stephanie Landa, an ex-POW who has a son in prison right now. But um, besides that, she also runs a, a, a nonprofit 501c3 group called Freedom Grow, where she raises tons and tons of commissary money for our plant prisoners. So we'll get an update from her, and then after that we plan on talking to Northern California Chapter Coordinator for the Human Solution International, Tom Corby, and he'll give us a Northern California update. So I'm going to introduce you guys to the other host of the show, which is Eugene Fisher. How are you doing this morning, Eugene? Good morning, Christian. Good morning, listeners. Uh, Good to have you on today. Um, I just wanted to make this point, Christian, for our listeners. Uh, when we say spirituality in prison, we're talking about more than formal religion. 
we're talking about spirituality, and how do I describe that? Ooh, uh, it's <laughs> kind of like like uh, it, it's a spirit. The spirit's there. The spirit follows you. I think we all know that feeling uh, of, of the, the spirit of another side of life, and in prison, it, it get, gets awakened. It's an awakening thing. I think it happens to uh, people at war also. Christian, this is saying there are no agnostics in foxholes, uh, you know, that uh, you're facing death and you're, it, it, it brings up a lot of things. And um, I don't know if I could put it this way. I, when I was in prison, I had a, near-death experience, I was, my kidney, I had complete kidney shut down, I went into a coma, uh, the priest visited me, and miraculously I came out of the coma, and it was like coming out of white lights, blazing white lights all around me, and, you know, I don't know if that's part of what the spirit is. I don't know if we can define the spirit as anything. If the spirit is just like air, you can't define it. It's there. But that's kind of where we're at. Now, the fellow, first fellow we're going to interview, Joe Valverde, who should be coming on shortly, is he very, is on, is very he's, he's on right now. Okay, let's bring Joe on then. Good okay, morning, okay. Joe. Hold on, hold on. Here's Joe Valverde. And Joe, you, um, I'm pressing the button right now, and you are live, Joe, with Eugene Fisher and Kristen Floor. Good morning. Good morning. Good to hear you all. Good morning, Joe. Joe, uh, would you give the audience, uh, tell the audience who you are. Give us, a, give us a little sketch of who you are, if you could. Uh, my name is Joe Valverde. And uh, as far as prison goes, I spent 19 years in prison. At one point, I had a 57-year sentence, which got gradually whittled down. And uh, this was for marijuana smuggling. And uh, in the course of my incarceration, I looked upon it basically as a monastic experience and tried to learn as much as I could about life. And in the course of that journey, I heard Gene uh, talking about the spirit. If you will allow it to happen in a prison environment, it's very practical to see what's real or not real as far as spirituality goes. Uh, Doing a bit of a self-help mantra and that kind of stuff, that just doesn't work. It's day in and day out of a potentially very oppressive situation where if you have the spirit of God within you, you keep having joy. And the joy is different than happiness. You keep having joy in a situation which should be terrible, and it just isn't. And that comes, again, if you take advantage of the various spiritual paths that are available, I happen to be a Christian, and that was my path. But in the course of that path, I was taught by a Buddhist monk, uh, several Jewish rabbis, 
Jane Davis, uh, a Carmelite discalced uh, uh, monk, and I took all those traditions, and they all fed into my my walk in Jesus Christ. And I know how everybody sometimes dooms and glooms the prison life, but I found for myself in my 19 years that my walk with Jesus Christ made everything okay. Uh, and you I'd sit there and look at it, and I felt anyway that my life was as valid sitting in prison as somebody else's life that is out in the world. And uh, I just found it to be actually very good. And the friendships I made with, with, with Eugene and, you know, the whole gang that we all know, we're all sort of on a spiritual path uh, and, and brought to that direction. But it's just uh, amazing. Joe, you mentioned the word monastic. Would you tell the listeners what you mean by that? Monastic is setting yourself apart from the world to sit and pray and contemplate, basically, apart from the world. And and that's what prison life can be. It's like a discalced uh, Carmelite uh, monk ex- ex- explained uh, to us, uh, Father Ted. And that was, you should go up into your cave and sit and contemplate and, and just still yourself and let the Holy Spirit teach you and sit in your cave. And if you sit in there long enough, I'm sure you'll have an awful lot of questions to ask. And then you return to your spiritual director and say, well, I've got this question, that question, the next question. And if your spiritual director is any good, what it will say, what it will say is go back to your cave, sit in silence, and when you have the answers to all those questions, come on back out and you might be of some use to somebody. And that's what it amounts to on a day-to-day surrendering of ourselves to the spirit of God that lives within us. And what's great about prison is you can't fake it because there's absolutely no relief. You don't get any special gold stars or anything else for for being involved in spiritual things that are available. But it's all internal, and you see the validity of stuff, and it becomes your reality, your, your just way of life. And I found it to be just fascinating. Uh, and the reality of it was there and is there and has been that, that God is in me sort of dragging me around, his life being lived, not mine. And to me, it's pretty fascinating to come out of the normal uh, experience of a prison, long-term incarceration, where you can get very, very negative if you're not uh, on some path which is positive. Joe, you mentioned contemplative. Is there such a thing called contemplative prayer, and can you give us a little insight into what uh, you and me and others of us did in prison concerning contemplative prayer? Well, contemplative prayer is a prayer form which most mystical traditions have. Uh, The Buddhists will call it uh, meditation, the Christians will call it, or the Catholic Christians will call it centering prayer. Uh, other traditions within with it, well, we'll call it silent prayer. And what it is, it's learning to sit 
in silence and just yell in silence. And what you'll find is when you stay in silence, and there's techniques to do this, uh, when you stay in silence, you're giving the Holy Spirit a chance to teach you things and to pull out of you the junk and garbage and crap which you've picked up in a lifetime and just letting it dump and realizing that you've been forgiven for all that, bringing your life into balance. But all of the traditions have it. It's the sitting in silence, and uh, some have different forms on how to do it. The Eastern religions have got a a physical part of how you sit uh, down pretty good. But you can do it just sitting in a chair, and, and after a while, it becomes your way of life. It's like Paul said, pray without ceasing. You, you, you end up staying in a state which is uh, a prayer state, a silent prayer state. It's like in my case, my mind doesn't race like most people's minds race from thought to thought to thought. I just sort of sit and observe and then decide whether or not I want to have a thought about this thing or that thing or the next thing. But there's a mechanism where if you start having thoughts that you don't like, you center back to a centering prayer word or uh, a sli- uh, you, 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 can, you can do the Shema, you can do the, you know, our Father, and you just do it in slow, uh, slowly, piece by piece, to bring yourself from the negative thoughts to, again, a place of silence. And that's contemplative uh, prayer in a, in a nutshell, and it's not that difficult. Everybody just thinks it's 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 a little strange, uh, but uh, it's basically sitting in silence and allowing the spirit of God to work on you from the inside out. So, uh, Joe, uh, it, for our listeners' sake, uh, uh, can you describe that? Uh, you mean to tell me you wipe all thoughts from your mind and and God speaks to you then in the silence is that can you can you give us a description of that well there's a scripture that covers it in 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 the uh uh in the bible which uh states that God is not found in the thunder God's not found in the uh uh, uh lightning God's not found in the wind but God is found in the still silence Silence is the key to it all. But the way you get into silence is is as a thought comes through your head, you just sit back and let's say you you use the Our Father prayer. You'll say, you'll start Our Father and then drop into silence and see if you can stay there for a while. If, 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 If you start getting other thoughts, then you say, Who art in heaven? And as one monk said, if when it takes you a week to do one Our Father, you're you're in pretty good shape. Uh, and it's just dropping back into this point of silence, and that's where that's where God works. And and what you'll find is after doing this for a few years, you look back at yourself before you started it, and then look at yourself where you're at, and you'll see that you've made it some massive changes in your whole perspective of things. Your core being has been redone, and that's that's the way it works in you know in basically all of the traditions. It can all be boiled down to the the, the silence. The Zen Buddhists will tell you uh, versus other Buddhists 
they'll say there's no reason to go and go through the various chakras and go out into the energy levels and all that kind of stuff. Since ultimately you're going to go to silence, you might as well practice in silence right from the beginning. And I concur with that. And uh, in the Catholic Church, the tradition that I'm close to, with the Discalced Carmelites, uh, that's St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross, they go and subscribe to the whole idea of sitting in silence. And in, in, in the silence is where you learn, not, not by uh, uh, any kind of rituals or anything else. And that's where you become a value because you're allowing the spirit of God that's in you to project itself through your life. Joe, you mentioned you mentioned the Discalced Carmelites. Can you give us a, a description of uh, what actually happened in your life and in my life, and that uh, how we joined up and became monks in prison? Well, what happened was in the the uh, there was a fellow that kept coming into Lewisburg. He was a really great guy by the name of Bob Borowski. and I remember talking to Bob one day and I saying, Bob. We're living in a monastery. This is a monastery here. We have a very controlled life. I'd like to know, and the other guys are like, you were asking, other people were asking, what do you do? How can we be more monk-like and follow in the tradition of the uh, Catholic monks? And he was he was going to a Carmelite. Uh, cloistered monastery. Cloistered means shut off from the world. These were uh, ladies who had given their lives to Christ and are in a monastery and don't go out and don't do anything but sit and pray in the monastery. And he got in touch with the uh, uh, head of the monastery and the, the lady was kind enough to say that she'd be happy to come to the prison but she had an, a better idea that they had a priest that showed up at their monastery to help with spiritual direction by the name of Father Ted, and he might be a better person to see you all. So Bob arranged with uh, Father Ted to come and see us, and before you know it, we were sitting in the middle of uh, one of the, what are considered one of the darkest prisons in America, Lewisburg, uh, with a discalced Carmelite monk teaching us how to be monks while we're in prison. And uh, he came several times. And then we also had a Buddhist monk, a female monk who'd lived in Japan for seven years. And she was in uh, robes and a shaved head and all that stuff. She was for real. And then she also helped in our teaching, which was, which, which you could do the Zen Buddhist teaching and apply it as a Carmelite uh, discalced uh, monk and they were very, very, very similar. So the teaching worked from a couple of different angles, and it tied into Judaism and everything else. But we were blessed that when we opened our hearts to having a desire to learn this stuff, that people just showed up. And I know that's difficult to understand, but it's the way it works in this whole spiritual walk. We weren't supposed to have anything. We were supposed to be shut away from everything possible. But I know myself and Eugene, when we, when we opened ourselves up to the spirituality that was offered, God provided us with the teachers that we wouldn't have been able to get at all. I mean, we had the, 
Archbishop of uh, Harrisburg, St. Louis and Lewisburg, the Archbishop of Atlanta, who spent time in my hometown in the summers, uh, came to visit us and take care of us in, in uh, Atlanta, and uh, we were just supplied. I mean, you can you, you you were there, Gene. Things just happen that that are miraculous, for lack of another word. Uh, in an environment where you're not supposed to have this kind of freedom and uh, wholesomeness. Uh, and, and it was something that, that I found to be really neat because I'm a pragmatist on all this stuff. If it, if, it, if it doesn't work in a practical way to make life better, and we were in a pretty nasty spot, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have gone for it. But what I found is the more that I was open to things and the more that, that I did my contemplative prayer and the more that we all joined together in this stuff, the teachers, the teachers showed up, as that, as that uh, line goes. You know, just, if you just wait long enough, the teacher will come to show you what you're supposed to do. Uh, Joe, when you say teachers, it comes to mind another part of our experience, mutual experience, in the walk we had in prison, uh, Judaism and, and, and the rabbi, Rabbi Learman, who came into Atlanta. Uh, would you tell the audience uh, what, your th- what our thoughts were, what your thoughts were in studying Judaism with the rabbi? Sure, Jane. I personally think, when I read the scriptures, that all Christians are really Jews. We're grafted into the... Uh, Brine of Abraham, and we become Jews, and it all ties together. So in my mind, it was logical to talk to a Jewish rabbi. Well, in Lewisburg, we happened to have one, and I went went and sat with him for uh, uh, a couple of years. And uh, then when we went to Atlanta, we ran into Jane Davis, who was coming and... and, uh, uh, doing a study on uh, Jews in jail, and she introduced us to the Hasidic rabbis in Atlanta. They were part of a, a, a rabbi, which they called the Rebbe, uh, uh, Rabbi Shearson uh, in New York, and they were an outreach of, of that. And uh, Rabbi Lehman came and taught us. And I mean, when when the Jewish guys, they were very gracious. When they saw these Gentiles showing up, they, they said, you know, what in the world are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we said, well, we think you're Jews. And and they looked at us askance and said, well, okay, <laughs> I, I don't think you're, this is for you, but if you, if you want to stick around, you're welcome to stick around. And I remember saying, we, I was there until I got released to the Florida system. I spent about five years going to the, with Rabbi Learman uh, uh, once a week for three or four hours. And uh, then Jane Davis was, was absolutely fabulous at the Jewish Passover meals and everything else we took part in. And uh, the Jewish tradition is, again, there's, it's, it's, it's nifty. I mean, it's really deep, and there's all sorts of wisdom in it. And uh, it tied into everything that we were doing. It was just another aspect of it, I think, to that God allowed, allowed us all to have a more open feel and to respect different traditions and 
uh, seeing them where where their relationship with God is all similar. And uh, it's all based on love, and it's based on helping each other and all that kind of stuff. So it was amazing that the Jewish the, the Jewish people welcomed us as uh, did the Buddhists, as did uh, everybody else. So you're you're saying there's a commonality of religion, and I guess the commonality of the word you just said a moment ago is love. Uh, uh, Joe, another th- question. Uh, I'm. I'm uh, I'd like to ask you is uh, oh, concerning... Eugene, just before you ask him, Eugene, I just want to let you guys know that um, Craig Cecil can call in anytime between now and 9:30. So if we get a phone call from federal prison, I'm gonna um, we're gonna have to just abruptly um, pretty much end the interview and then um, um, we'll take the prison call. So I just want to let you guys know that that's coming anytime. But okay, go ahead, Eugene. Yeah, okay. Joe, Joe understands that well about how the prison telephone system works. Uh, uh, Joe, uh, did, did we do something special in Atlanta as to the Archbishop and becoming uh, special uh, representatives of the Catholic Church? Well, yes, the, the uh, Archbishop of Atlanta was kind enough to make us all Eucharistic ministers, meaning that we could hand out the Eucharist, which is the body of uh, Christ, uh, during Mass. And uh, he was uh, very influential in, in that. And as, uh, when, we were, when we were working with uh, uh, Lizanne, we were even trying to have uh, uh, a, a master's degree in theology done through Biola University. Which again, the archbishop supported if we if we wanted to or put it together. We never quite got it together, uh, but they were all very supportive. And again, it's it's we had a little uh, I forget I forget what you call it, but uh, we had a little thing we used to do on Saturdays where we'd get and go over scripture and do the do the uh, Gregorian chant, and it was quite a neat little. Uh, uh, service that we that we put together and uh it was all influential we i mean the archbishop of atlanta was very helpful and it's important to have people of prominence in prison with you and have access to them and this is where chaplain culture was uh he was a deacon in the catholic church he uh understood the importance of having uh a, an archbishop somewhere nearby so that if the staff went berserk, which they were capable of doing, uh, you had some backup from the outside that could that could at least ask or inquire about you as you fell off the end of the earth. So that was all important. And, and again, it's, it's, it's all these people showing up, working in a positive manner. We all had these outrageous sentences. So it wasn't, you know, go to church for a week because you're going to go to the parole board you know, in three or four months, and you want to make it look good. This is something that Gene, you, and I, and all the other people, we made a commitment that went on for 15, 18, 20, 30 years. And I know now that I'm out of prison, I've been out for, ten, I think, over 10 years now. Uh, I still practice all this stuff. I still don't have thoughts going through my head, and that's even when I'm driving, driving a truck. Uh, and it's just a piece and a calm which follows you. 
So that's that that's been that's been my experience, the experience of people on the outside helping us. So Joe, uh, from li- listening to you talk to our listeners uh, and describe what what your walk was in in prison, it was really a pretty pretty full spiritual life, and it contained many people influential and others uh, from the outside and religious people of all kinds. Uh, it, it seems to be a tapestry, rich tapestry. Do you feel, uh, I, I know people think, oh, my God, you spent 19, 20, 25, 30 years in prison, and uh, you poor, poor guy, yet there seems to be, have been, there was the richness in prison, too. Well, from my standpoint, I found the whole experience to be valid, to be good, and to be joyful. And I've learned I learned stuff in that oppressive that I couldn't have learned in a in a in a more normal way of being. And I had joy in my heart for 19 years while I was in there. Now that's different than happiness. It's not. That happiness is different. But just standing around, I remember walking down the halls of Lewisburg, one of the most violent prisons in, in America, where every offense was a killable offense. You could get killed over anything. They didn't have any arguments. They just killed each other. Uh, and I just was filled with joy. And I said to myself, you know, I couldn't have paid any amount of money to have experienced this. And again, when you're a spiritual person or you're part of the spiritual people, all the real violent nutcases leave you alone. They don't understand it, but it's not it's not their energy level. And uh, you're able to live a perfectly, I think, valid life. So, you know, I know it's it sounds weird, but uh when you're when you when you have these giant sentences you can't keep wishing to get out all the time. You gotta do something with yourself that's positive uh, in the event that you don't get out and and grow and everything else, and you just become a different human being. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, we should be off in a second here with, because uh, uh, this um, gentleman who always calls in every week is, will be calling in. But in the meantime, uh, maybe a last thought, uh, retreats while in prison. Uh, uh, we experienced uh, something uh, called Garcillos. Can you just tell the listeners a little bit about that? Well, the, 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 the Catholic Church has a thing called a Garcillo, and Protestants branded under what they call the, the third day. And uh, what it is, it's a retreat where you basically give yourself over to the Holy Spirit for a three or four day period. And you do all sorts of things that are almost childish. And what happens at the end of it all is you actually see a physical change in yourself and in other people. That no, Eugene, we, got, we got Craig on the line. I'm going to answer it. So I'll be right back. Okay. okay. Thank you. That was Thank Joe you. Valverde. Thank you so much, Joe, for coming on. Uh, we're going to invite you back again in the future if you would be so gracious as coming on again. I know the listeners Watch enjoyed it. listening.
Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we're getting Craig Cecil coming on now, calling from Terre Haute uh, Prison, Medium Prison, uh, where he's in India. Good morning. How are you doing in prison? Well, here I am still in, today it's sunny Terre Haute, Indiana, and we have a pretty nice day. I don't know if you got my messages. We, I was a little worried yesterday. <laughs> we had, uh, Mindy, uh, yeah, Mindy, Mindy just told me about it on the back end. She said that you're worried because there's a lot of attention inside. Yes, there's um, a bunch of tension, racial tension, actually. There's... Um, I guess the, as the story went, there was two black people beat up a white person, and then there was big groups of people all bunching up on the rec- recreation yard and all that. And my fear was is that they would lock us all down to make sure nothing happened. But the good news is they only locked us down for a couple of a couple of hours, and there doesn't seem to be any more problems. So that's the good news. Um, Craig, today the topic of our show, and I, I didn't get a chance to email you, let you know, but the topic of our our show is basically spirituality in prison. Um, so if you have any thoughts about spirituality in prison, we'd love to hear them. But other than that, we'd also like to know what you've been doing all week, and I'm glad you're not having to be on the um, the baloney diet punishment. <laughs> yeah, there's no baloney diet punishment, <laughs> but spirituality and uh, basically. Uh, Religion in general actually helps a lot of people. And I think what that's due to is there's a lot of people that engage in prison ministries from the street and uh, actually reach out to prisoners and help them. And for some prisoners, that's the only help, the only companionship that they get from the street. You know, their their families have left them. They're, you know, they're, they're just people that don't have support other than from these ministries. So the ministry and just an evaluation of What's important that comes through, you know, the different Christian or Muslim or Jewish faiths, you know, can really help a lot of people. So spirituality does help a lot of people in their, uh, really, their rehabilitation process and their uh, goals to go back to the street and hopefully change, you know, how they live. Wow. Has spirituality ever helped you in when, you know, when you're, in any times that you've been in prison and had to had to face hard times, has spirituality ever helped get you through it? Um, yes. Um, just about a year and a half ago, um, I'm a practicing Catholic, and uh, Catholics in the uh, prison system they they bring in a priest usually from you know a local parish who says mass for us on Sunday, and so there, there's a, a Catholic community at at all uh, federal prisons, I imagine. And uh, when my son died last year, or a year and a half ago, um, the congregation and even the people that came in were just, you know, really supportive of me and, you know, and, and tried to help in every way they could and all that. So, yes, they, they did help, you know, ease the, the pain that I was experiencing, you know, just by the offers of help. And, you know, if I needed anything, they they were actually right there. So really the church you know, brings out the bust in a lot of these people, you know, all the different churches. And and it really made a difference in, in my grieving process just to have that kind of support. Wow. That's nice. That's nice. Um, we were just learning from another ex-POW who was in prison for 
19 years about about his take on the religion um, before you called in and what he got out of it um, is absolutely amazing. Um, do you participate in ceremonies or anything like that while you're there? Participate in the what? I'm not sure. Any ceremonies or any tr- going? You go to church in prison while you're there? Yes, yes, I go. As a matter of fact, I'll be going today in a little bit over an hour. I'll be going at two o'clock as I go every Sunday to the Catholic Mass to the Catholic ceremony. And we okay. also have uh, we usually have a service on Wednesdays, and I'll I'll go to that you know as I can or as they hold it. So and that, that does help me, and it, just the. I don't know, hanging out with a a group of people with similar ideals, I think, helps. You know, just because as in any environment, just the the people you hang around with, you know, help determine who you are and, you know, what you value. This call is from a federal prison. Craig, do they have have in Terre Haute, do they have any retreats for CEOs or anything like that for the community? No, uh, no, I, I've heard of that, but no, they don't. Uh, at best, there's, you know, just our, you know, the different churches have different meetings every week, you know, with, or different services. But uh, I've, I've never seen any uh, retreats, so, you know, I'd have to say no, that they're not here. Uh, we did that in the East Coast and the various prisons I was in, and it was an intra-Christian uh, a retreat, and it was three days of volunteers coming in, and it was the most amazing thing. Uh, you might ask your chaplain about it and see if you can't do something like that. It's three days of Jesus Christ, and it's beautiful. And it's not just a As a matter of fact, I, I have experienced that. I have experienced that at uh, FCI Pekin. Um, I, I guess I'd call it a revival, probably more than anything, and. And that was wonderful. As you say, it was interfaith, so there was, you know, all the different Christian faiths were represented there. So it was really kind of a neat opportunity to to bring, you know, uh, Christians of all different stripes together. So it was really a neat experience. Nice, nice. So, Craig, what have you? How's this week been for you? How are you? How are you? How are you dealing with prison this week? Well, the good news is we we only had one meal of of bologna all week, <laughs> so that was the good news. On the food <laughs> but uh, the weather's been a bit cool, and uh, and really the the prison has been anxious. I would say there's a a recent Supreme Court case uh, called United States versus Johnson, which would mean for a select handful of inmates they may get a reduction in their sentence from being over 15 years to being less than 10 years. So there's just a whole lot of anxiety and a whole lot of excitement over that. And uh, there's about three people that have already went home from here that would have otherwise had years to serve. So there's a, a good attitude about, you know, what the Johnson case can, has done for people and what it will do for people. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people I think that envision wonderful results from Johnson for themselves and that they probably don't qualify for any reduction. But still it's it's uh 
it's given hope to a whole lot of people that, you know, that their sentences may be reduced. And just to, to celebrate the people that, you know, they, they got a court order in their hand and about two or three hours later, you know, they were out the front door. That was, you know, that, that's been, you know, a big help for the mood here. And my jogging partner, what, a little bit over two weeks ago, was amongst uh, the people that were granted a, a commutation from President Obama. So that's brought a little joy here to see uh, his nickname was Zulu. But just to see Zulu, you know, uh, go from having two life sentences to his sentence was commuted, so he'll be going home in 2018. So, I mean, that brought a lot of joy to people to to see it happen to to somebody here and somebody that is well-liked here. So the mood has been basically upbeat, I would say. Craig, uh, uh, when you say 10 years, uh, I recall it used to be when we had parole in federal prison that no matter what your sentence, after 10 years you were eligible for parole. And people, I remember people used to get out with life sentences, used to get out after 10 years because they became parole eligible. But that was all done away with when parole was was eliminated. Yes, and that makes it so that people's sentences now, uh, if they earn all their good time credits, um, they're going to serve right at 85% of the sentence the judge gave them. So if they're sentenced to 10 years in prison, they're going to serve a little bit over eight and a half years uh, in federal prison. So for uh, these well, people that are sentenced to... Uh, Craig, for our listeners' sake, are you saying that parole does not exist in federal prison? No, no. Parole uh, was abolished in 1987. So there is uh, there is still a malingering handful of people that are still under uh, what were parolable sentences, but these tend to be the people with the most egregious cases that you know won't. Although they have a parolable sentence. They won't be released or they won't be released yet. There is somebody I can actually see from here that was just given a date uh, to go home. Uh, I believe it's July of this year. This call is from a federal prison. But he's been in uh, federal prison since the early 1980s for the murder of two marshals. But uh, here he's going to be able to go home. <laughs> and yet there's people like me on a marijuana charge where I – as as it stands right now, I have no chance to go home while I'm still alive. Let, let, let's repeat that for the listeners. Let's repeat that for the listeners. Can you tell the listeners again, point blank, your sentence is never to get out of prison? I I cannot be released from prison while I'm still alive. As a matter of fact, the exact words out of the judge when he sentenced me is, I hereby sentence you to a term of natural life. And I have no idea why, but he he said I have to serve five years supervised release after that, which I'm not quite sure. (laughs) uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, like, okay, so I've always wondered that because John Hawkins gave me two life sentences plus 20 years. So I've been asking people, how do you do that? And one person said... Maybe they pass the sentence down to your family members. I've heard everybody say you got to come back to life twice, but 
I had one person say that maybe the sentence goes on to your family members or something. But yeah, how do you serve five years of probation after your after your life sentence? It's actually just an anomaly in the law that all sentences have to have that sentence in re, you know in addition to whatever the term of imprisonment is. So it's just a it's just another uh, way that our laws you know are really kind of detached from reality. <laughs> Wow, wow. Craig, Craig, when they released me from my life sentence, they didn't give me any probation. It was found it was so egregious, egregious what, what was happening in, in giving me that sentence. Uh, the same thing that most people, uh, and most people when they hear your case, they hear it, you weren't even involved directly and it, it's strictly marijuana, and you've got a natural life sentence. People don't believe it. People in America don't believe that is possible. Well, as you well know, walking through the the hallways of the prison, um, I'm sure it happened to you where I get pulled up by staff, and they say, oh, is it true? Are you the one that got life for marijuana and you have no prior convictions? I mean, I get that question from the officers. And this prison opened in 1937, the same year that marijuana became illegal. It's been here a long time. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's crazy. But the, another thing that I find uh, compelling is in the statistics looking at both state and federal prosecutions, the average time, uh, the median average time uh, served in prison for murder is 12.3 years. And I've served well over that on a marijuana charge already, and if my life expectancy is 20 more years, I'll serve a lot more than 12.3 years. But that average time served in prison on a murder conviction. Greg, out of curiosity and for the listener's sake, when you were sentenced, what, did the judge say there were, and the, or the prosecutor say there were any victims? No. As a matter of fact, they, they explicitly said that there is no victims. The, and uh, all the paperwork, and all of them said that there was no victims, nobody hurt, nobody forced into anything. But, uh, Craig, so you mean, you mean for a, a victimless crime, you got a life sentence? Yes, and a rapist would have gotten, at worst, a 41-month sentence. But thanks for all the help. The phone's about to hang up, and thank you for this week, and thank you for all the, the for shining a light on us marijuana lifers. Thank you. Thank you, Craig, for your sacrifices. So thank you. We love you. We're fighting for you. You guys, that was Craig Cecil to sign Craig's petition. petition just Craig, well, Craig Cecil. And uh, sign this petition uh, that his daughter has put a video up begging for her dad's freedom so Obama can grant him clemency. So if you could just go on there and sign that petition, uh, it would really help pay out a lot. So, Eugene, um, we're going to go back to Joe. He is, he is um, still on the line. Um, anytime we can get George calling in, but he has not called in yet. So um, let's just get um, Joe on to say our final thoughts, and then um, 
we'll move on to our next okay. interview. Hey, Joe, thank you for coming on. Oh, wait, 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 Joe, 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 wait, 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 there you are. Are you there? Are you there, Joe? Yeah, I can hear Whatever you. Whatever you say, Yes, yes, we can, can hear you yes. now, Joe. You're on. Okay. That, that was Craig Cecil, Joe, uh, and he, uh, he, he's he got a life sentence for marijuana. Uh, he, he's a valiant guy uh, doing the time, and uh, we're working diligently trying to get him out of prison. Uh, uh, that's, Christian, that's Christian. Christian always puts in a, uh, something uh, at the end in a summary that'll tickle you, that'll touch your heart. Uh, we put in a tribute to Bill Lamort, uh, our sure. fellow monk and fellow uh, walker in, in, this, in, in the spiritual life we pursued in prison. Can you give us a little, give us a little uh, few thoughts about, about Bill Lamort and, and, and who he was and, and, and so on? Bill Billboard was a really good guy. Uh, in fact, he, he was, I'm originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And he was uh, dating a girl that I knew there that I was close with. And he spent some time up in Scranton before he got himself embroiled in this whole mess. And his case was unique in that uh, he wasn't really involved in anything, but his brother got jammed up in something. And his brother pointed the finger and said that Bill had done all this stuff years and years and years ago. And Bill ended up with a life sentence as a result. And he was just a good guy. I mean, that's what I can say about him. He he was involved in our yoga classes and our casinos and all this other stuff. And, uh, again, he was facing this life sentence. And it's a shame because I I I I don't know why the vindictiveness is what it is. I know when I was in the state of prison, uh, the caller from Terrell Hutt's absolutely correct, and I know guys that had in the vernacular of, of, of the prison life, the guys had plenty of bodies in their cases, and they did ten, twelve year sentences. I mean, it was unbelievable. The uh, Mort was a great guy, and. Uh, Along with another guy that I'm sure you guys are promoting, and I hope you can get him out, is Kenny Kavinsky. That was a case that was just unbelievable, where the prosecution not only put him in jail for it, for something he had nothing to do with, he had conspirators from 10 years before that he had shared some marijuana with, supposedly, and 10 years later, they got convicted, and because they knew who who Penny was and, and allegedly said that he was involved with them, Penny ended up with a life sentence. His wife ended up in jail. His kids were put into uh, foster homes, thankfully to, to, the, to the church, and uh, his uh, nephew was thrown in jail. And that was because the prosecutor wanted a fighting community that Kenny had built from, from nothing in the Carolinas. So I, I hope I hope he gets out too. I mean they were both we're, we're, sisters. we're all working on it, Joe. We're working to try to get Kenny out. Uh Joe, are you telling me telling the audience people the statute of limitations, which I understand is five years, 
doesn't matter that they can make it a continuous crime and say that crimes committed more than 10 years before can still be prosecuted? That's insanity. Let me explain it to you. You can have somebody who's done something 20 years ago who gets in trouble today for something. And they can give the name of a guy from 20 years ago that allegedly was involved with them. There's no statute of limitations. There's no anything. You go directly to jail, and it's strictly on the word of somebody who's convicted of a, of a drug crime saying that you were involved with them 20 years ago in something. Now, they do have a, 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 a nice way of being able to get out of that situation, and that is to put in writing that you are withdrawing officially from the conspiracy that you were involved in 20 years ago. If you had given that to the prosecutor 20 years ago, they were just thrown in jail, that they would have had the documentation to limit your liability on the conspiracy that everybody that was involved in anything. It, and it all just doesn't stop. So let, well, wait, Joe. Joe, uh, let me let me understand that. Let the audience understand that. You mean to tell me that you have to go in and give a written confession if you're going to stop something you're doing, which of course will put you in harm's way of being prosecuted in order to be considered that you're out of some, out of a conspiracy, an old conspiracy. That's 10, 15, or 20 years old? Is that what you're saying? That's America. You hit it right on the head. <laughs> and, 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 and again, your listeners, especially the marijuana guys, if you were to meet them on the street, you'd, you'd think they were all really just tremendous people. Creative, smart, uh we have a good family life, all that kind of stuff. It's not what's portrayed. And, and what else happens is, is as uh, your caller from uh, Terra Hutt uh, talked about, what the system will do is they'll put guys out on the street, throwing them out or having their sentences disappear so that they can create havoc and put more fear into the into the uh, uh minds of the public. I believe it's done just to keep the bureaucracy going. It's a multi multi billion dollar industry. And you have to keep people scared because otherwise they'll look at your car from Terra Hart, you look at Kenny, you look at Bill when he was alive, Eugene, me, and say, what are these guys doing in jail? There's no there's no reason for it. Like any of us know if you, if, if you ever do anything wrong again in your life, you're going to be going to jail and you're never getting out. That's enough of a deterrent to anybody with half a brain to stay away from doing anything illegal. And you don't have to keep everybody incarcerated forever. It's just, it's just one sham. And, and, and there is no statute of limitations. These conspiracies go on forever. They can put anybody in jail they want. I just heard of another thing when I was listening to the radio that the government at this stage, if, if you're a, if you're a uh, normal citizen 
and you're putting monies into a bank in cash, five or six thousand dollars a week, the government can just come in and seize that money at will, not indict you for anything, not do anything for you, and just seize it. And uh, there, there are more and more cases like that that are going on. So that's just part of what, what the government is doing. Joe, uh, did you ever know anyone who was convicted for marijuana in your 19 years in prison that was uh, in there for violence? No, no violence, no guns. The nature of the, of the marijuana business is not any violence associated with it. You don't have the stuff that they portray. Well, they're not portraying the marijuana business. They usually get into uh, the coke and the heroin and all that kind of stuff. But the, but the marijuana business was, was known by everybody as a business where there wasn't any violence. Nobody threatened anybody. Nobody did anything that was, that was negative. And that's with everybody I, I ran into. The, the only violent guys were the guys that uh, were uh, stealing from people who were uh, reputed to be drug dealers. They would, uh, you know, house invade their houses and stuff. They were the violent guys. But nobody nobody in the uh, the actual business of, of, of marijuana. So, so people convicted for ma- of marijuana sentences, there was always that part of the trial, wasn't there, Joe, where they said, were the, who are the victims? There are no victims. And it always astonished me to know that the t- courts would say, while there, or the prosecution would say, while there are no victims, society in general suffered. Uh, can you under, is there any logic in your mind to that, Joe? How can you have how can you have no victims and yet society suffering? Well, there 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 there's it's it, it's the law, and it's the law. Even if it's messed up, if nobody changes it, it's it's what is and what has to be dealt with. But on the victimless issue. Uh, it, it's 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 coming from such a absurd perspective that uh, it's it's they're just trying to justify locking people up for as long as they can. And and I I know when I got my uh, fifty-seven year sentence from the feds, they they went into a whole tirade and all this kind of stuff, but there was nothing happened. It was, it was marijuana in an airplane. Nobody even went anywhere. Uh, but that's what the law is. And then that's why it's good to have you guys act, being activists to try and get more guys out of jail so that more people can see that there's no need to incarcerate a lot of people. That they're perfectly all right. You just let them know you, you, you violate the law again and you're going to go away forever. And that's enough of a deterrent. If that's if that's the deterrent you want. And as we're seeing now, everybody's legalizing marijuana across the board. And uh, a lot of us spent an awful lot of time in jail for something now that's being legalized. Which I guess it's the same thing that happened in Prohibition. 
Do you uh, was anyone in your who's in your case is are they is there anyone still in prison? I've got a uh, co-defendant from my case in Florida, Tom Gears, who uh, it's my understanding that uh, the prosecutor in the case said we have no interest in the guy. You might you, you should you should try and get him out of prison, and uh, he's still there. His health is failing. And if, if something doesn't happen to him pretty quick, he's liable to uh, die in prison. And uh, we're, trying, we're trying to save him. We're trying to Say save again? him. We, we, I said we're trying to save him. We've now, launched he's a campaign a, to try to help him specifically. Well, and I don't know, I'm sure he told you, but... Okay, he's a prince of a guy. And uh, his case was he had a guy say that Tom directed him to go pick up some marijuana off a boat. He then directed this guy to take the marijuana back to the people he got it from and uh, tell him that he didn't want it. Again, Tom was not in any of these conversa- any of these uh, meetings or anything else. And uh, based on this guy's testimony that it, Supposedly been running all over the country with this marijuana that Tom told him to pick up. Uh, based on his testimony, Tom uh, got himself a 20-some-odd-year sentence. And uh, there was no evidence at all that he was even involved, that he was even in a meeting, that he was even had anything to do with anything. And again, okay. that's, that's all part of the thing where you, if, if you've got somebody that's willing to cooperate, to save their own skin. The government is perfectly happy to throw as many people in jail as they can lay their hands on. Um, okay, Joe, I think we're going to have our next guest on. Is Jane coming on now, Christian? Yep, she just called in. Okay, Joe, you might want to stay on for a few minutes. Jane Davis is going to come on next. I shall. Oh. Great. Good to hear her voice. For our listeners, Eugene, you just want before we bring her on, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about her? Okay, we're we're about to uh, be interview be interviewing one of the most amazing ladies you're ever going to meet. Her name is Shane Davis. It was my privilege to know her as a prison minister coming into USP Atlanta, one of the most violent prisons in the United States. Uh, Jane was very active in leading uh, Jewish services there. But in addition to that, the woman has had, was, was an activist and visiting people on death row throughout the United States and just doing wonderful things with her life. And uh, so she, she's an, an experienced lady in, in what prison ministry is all about. With that opening, Jane, we'd like to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Am I on? You're on, Jane. Oh, hi. Hi, Jane. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. This is uh, really an honor, and uh, thank you for that introduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, um, so where would you like me to, what would you like me to share? Okay, let's start out and get, tell us, you to describe what you did 
let, let's start off with your death row uh, ministry, what you did there. Okay. All right. Well, back in, um, oh, gosh, it's been about 25 years ago, I was living in Atlanta, and I was asked to be a media witness at an execution. And I remember thinking, if I'm being asked to witness such a thing, then there's a bigger reason. I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to follow. And it was an electric chair execution. I was a contributing writer to Prison Life magazine at the time. And um, I, it changed my whole life. I did not know Chris, um, but I had read his file, so I kind of knew everything about him. And um, all the other people I did know. But he kept, when he, they brought him into the holding, from the holding chamber into the execution chamber, his eyes stayed glued to mine the whole time. And um, I just kept mouthing to him, go in peace, Chris, go in peace. And I think I even said, I love you. And, um, you know, then they put the flap over. It, I can't even describe what I saw. I don't talk about it much, but it wasn't about, the death penalty per se, it was about, oh, my God, you know, I know this man, you know, like I know every human being. And we all know each other. We deal with the same issues. And um, so coming out of that, a couple months later, I had a vision, literally, that woke me up in the middle of the night, and it said, your life's purpose, if you choose to accept this, you know, is to be of service. And my work in the prisons, you know, is never about um, guilt or innocence because there are too many factors that go into that. I've worked with people who have been in prison and say, if someone comes to me and says, I'm innocent and I'm in here, I say, I can't work with you. I can only work with guilty people because the spiritual walk of that is acceptance and and really owning, you know, what what you've done. Um, and Joe did mention, and I would disagree with him on one thing. He said, you know, what are these guys doing in jail? There's no reason for it. Well, the reason is if you break a law that, and you get caught, you go to jail. So I do agree, you know, obviously that sentences are too long and blah, 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 but that's not my work. You know, I figure that's the work of attorneys and activists. And so I just see, you know, from that moment on, I had a deeper compassion than I ever did for everybody. And, you know, I was kind of, I got in that vision that said, you you know, go to prison so that nobody's forgotten. And I uh, founded an organization called Hope House which is acronym H-O-P-E hyphen H-O-W-S-E dot org on the, on the net. So that's, that's kind of how I got started. Uh, Jane, so getting back to just one part of your ministry, uh, did you continue to visit people on death row after that experience in Atlanta? Oh, well, that's, that's kind of when it started. I founded Hope House, and I spent the next 10 years um, traveling around the world. Even the Gandhi Center brought me to India to speak to the board about my peace model. Um, so, yes, I, I continued um, 
probably for 10, 10 or 12 years and, you know, didn't get funding by anyone but myself. I just believed so strongly. The work was to say, hey, there are human beings in here. And, yes, I mean, I'm a firm believer in accountability. Um, so, and then how that happens or the activists that fight for prison reform and all that, that's not my work, but I support and I'm glad that people are doing that. My work is to show up, as you know, for the people in prison and, and just to be there, to bring some light into a place of darkness. So you, you found uh, prisoners to be real human beings, and you found uh, in doing this meaning to your life and to their lives. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You know, that was the, that was the whole point, you know, that, oh, my God, you know, because obviously society tends to lock people away, and that's it, and forget about you. And, um, you know, there's so many aspects that are needed in that work. Um, so I just focused on, on mine because otherwise I would be spread too thin, if that makes any sense. So, you know, I, I just focused. I traveled, all, as I said, all over the country, all over the world, going to prisons and death rows. I spent a lot of time in San Quentin. Um, I've witnessed electric chair and lethal injection, but I don't fight against the death penalty. My, quote, fight against the death penalty is to talk about and bring out the human beings and their stories. And then through that, you know, perhaps I would change thoughts, which I have. I know I have because people have contacted me. Jane, in, in uh, your ministry in USP Atlanta, can you describe a little bit about, uh, for example, the, the one thing that pops up in my mind are the Seder meals, are the meal meals uh-huh. we had, and when when you when you bring your father in and and we had in prison in one in a right. maximum security prison, we had the joy of celebration of a religious. A beautiful religious celebration. Can you give us a little bit of a description of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear because I tell tell people, you know, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't know that you weren't in your grandmother's kitchen, you know, or dining room. <laughs> and um, I remember Jerry Farber came, my father came. So, you know, the way it, it started for me, because I don't focus on just Jewish inmates, um, as you know, it, but the way it started, I was actually doing another story for the Atlanta Jewish Times on Jewish inmates. And we met, this was before, you know, I met you and started doing our group, but we met in the bowels of the penitentiary way back, you know, where the, the church is and the, the religious rooms. And I felt like I was meeting, you know, prizes in a Cracker Jack box. It was just unbelievable. And um, so I did a story on Jews in jail, and then I actually, they let me become a volunteer, which is highly unusual um, since I had come in as media. And uh, But I became a volunteer at USP Atlanta, 
and started coming in initially, you know, for the Jewish inmates. But as I recall, you know, everybody was coming, and it was more of a a group, a spiritual group. And yet I did on Friday nights, I, I did bring in challah, and, and we had, you know, said prayers, so, you know, Shabbos prayers. And then it was so much fun to do Hanukkah and Passover and the fact that they gave permission and we brought real food in, <laughs> you know, it, it was incredible. They let us bring flowers and, you know, we set a beautiful table. I have a picture of you from, because uh, I think one of the newspapers did a story on it. So I have a picture of you at the Seder table. So, Jane, you're, you're weaving a picture of the rich, uh, rich uh, celebrations of the Jewish faith, and how it reached even into prison. Is that what you're 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 telling us? Wait and say what? How did what? The rich faith, the rich traditions of yeah. Judaism. Yeah. And how it extended and went into prison. And the lesson of, I guess, the lesson is spirituality has no walls. Nothing right. to block it. I, I love that you said that because that's really what my work is about. It's about spirituality, not a particular religion. And I've done a lot of work with the Native American guys in prison. And um, here in, in New Mexico, where I am now, I also, I was an employee. Um, I was a mental health employee at our top security prison, but I also was the first employee allowed to be a volunteer. So I continued my Hope House work here while I was also working. And we did the same thing. Um, you know, I did, I, I sponsored the Black Awareness Group the Native American group, the Gray Eagles, and the Haciendas. So these were all self-help groups that the inmates created. And um, we would have banquets and raise money, and I would bring people in from the community, like, to teach them how to run a board meeting. And, you know, all kinds of things like that, so that when they got out, um, they would have, and it was, it's a, the work I do is very grassroots. Um, I had a writing program in prison. Um, that was very powerful. Also, my dogs, Hogan and Magic, were therapy dogs. They came into the prison with me. Um, I founded Hope House Presents Concerts in the Yard. For seven years, every month, all the local musicians came in. Um, and we had a concert in the yard or the gym. And I did a study for two to three weeks after every concert, the write-ups decreased. And then one day a new deputy warden came in, and within 10 days he called me and said, we're shutting down your program. So as you know, and Joe knows, that's one of the very frustrating things. Of, it doesn't matter if you're in prison or working as a volunteer or as an employee within prison. It's demeaning. It's disrespectful. It has little regard for for anybody, and that's the way it's set up. So they stopped the concerts. I still get calls. The uh, musicians in town still want to come in and do concerts. 
You know, so it's a very difficult place, and it's filled with human beings. My specialty is working with sex offenders. So that's kind of like, you know, the lowest of the low in the prison world. And um, I find the humanity in everybody I meet. And so that's what keeps me going. And that's why that's, that's why I don't Jane, get into the yeah. For for our listeners, uh, there's a story that comes to my mind. I'd like you to, like you to tell our listeners about your grandparents and what happened uh-huh. with that attack and so on. Would you tell them just to give it, give a, give people a little feel for who you are and for, for the concept of forgiveness. Sure, and I was, um, I guess I was like 16 years old and got a call. My grandparents had been brutally attacked in their apartment in New York City, so we went down. It was a two-hour ride and um, got there. It was my first experience with violence, and um, so my grandfather, they they told us that my grandfather was not going to make it. He, um, it, it was obviously a heroin addict that broke into their apartment and slashed their um, paintings. And then my grandmother, um, they they woke my my grandfather went into the kitchen. He heard, and the guy turned around with a knife in his hand. And my grandfather said, "Can I help you, sir?" <laughs> so the guy said, "Yes, I want the white stuff." So I don't know what, you know, what he was talking. Maybe he thought they had diamonds. But they went in and woke my grandmother up. And she got up, and the man held the knife to my grandmother's throat. And um, so at that point, my grandfather knew he was going to fight. So he went into the bathroom. He put the knife down, and my grandfather grabbed it. And the blade was in his hand. Well, they had a huge fight. My grandmother jumped on top, broke her foot, blah, 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 and he, he got away. And my grandfather um, had, it was just violent, horrible. I'm not going to go into the gruesome details. And um, so we were actually almost making plans for his funeral. So it was like I went through his death, and miraculously he lived. And I remember running, chasing the blood, because my grandfather knew he had stabbed him also. And just it dribbled into the into Central Park, and and I just stood there like looking so lost, like the guy, you know, what he just did, and then he ran away, and he was never caught, and um, but I had to, you know, be faced with forgiveness. I mean, I didn't know that at sixteen. I didn't have these these words, but all I knew was that I really wondered about the man that did this, like what was wrong with him. And I thought, he must need help. And so my focus turned to him in in a way of really curiosity. And I didn't have this hatred that my family did. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And um, so I guess that kind of also shaped, you know, my life and how I approach people. So that, by the way, that story... Is if you go to the website of hopehouse.org, H-O-P-E hyphen H-O-W-S-E dot org, 
that story is printed there in Chicken Soup for the Prisoner Soul. And if anybody's interested in the book, um, I have a number of them, so you can get, you know, contact me through that website, you know, or through the email on that site. And uh, there's another story in that book of one of the executions that I walked someone through. So, um, and that's, it's a great book, a lot of, lot of stories. Can you repeat for the listener's sake the name of the book? Chicken Soup for the Prisoner's Soul. Chicken Soup for the Prisoner's Soul. For our okay. listener's sake, Jane, can you tell us what chi- what chicken soup symbolizes for, for Jewish people? <laughs> Healing. <laughs> Love. <laughs> You know, I, I I have my my grandmother's recipe. I make my grandmother's chicken soup, and it's actually the recipe and pictures of my grandmother are in a book called Everything I Eat Nourishes Me, a cookbook for body and soul. So, and, you know, cooking and sharing meal and breaking bread together is, is just so nurturing. And that's why I was so glad to be able to not just come into the, you know, prison, but to be able to bring food in. That, you know, that's important. And chicken soup is is nourishing and healing and loving. Uh, For our listeners' sake, uh, uh, what runs through my mind in my relationship with Jane Davis, my knowledge of the lady, I think of a Jewish Mother Teresa. I think of a lady who fully fully forgives. I think of a lady full of love for people, for humanity. And yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's the lesson that we can learn. Can you give me some, some thoughts, Jack, Jane, on that? Well, it's funny because what came to my mind, um, I was just recently, everything that you're saying about me, has been a flow of my life and and just so beautiful. I was recently challenged by someone who was a, an acquaintance I had known for a long time, and he presented that he had run into some trouble, and he, he had a lot of animals. And so my thought was, well, come to my ranch. You know, that was the, my heart opening up. Come to my ranch. So... Meanwhile, he brought 13 horses, four goats, sheep, not sheep, um, chickens, peacock, roosters, um, and he didn't have a a pot to piss in, excuse my French, so I ended up paying for everything, even two wonderful dogs, and he, he kind of took over my ranch, One Heart Ranch, which is part of Hope House. It's also a place of healing 30 acres off the grid in Madrid, New Mexico. And you can find that on Facebook. Um, And you can find Hope House on Facebook also. But I was so greatly challenged. The man was abusive verbally and and emotionally abusive. And I'm still, he he lived in the the house at the ranch. He didn't do anything he said he was going to do. And then I started doing my due diligence. Well, it turns out that was his M.O. 
um, people were coming out of the woodwork telling me, oh, my goodness, you know, I wanted to warn you. And um, so I am challenged to forgive him. I think I'm getting there. But, you know, the whole point is it's not like it's just so easy. I think it, it really does live strongly in me, but I'm sharing that story because, oh, my goodness, we were going to do some work together with the horses. And um, after three sessions, I knew he didn't know what he was doing, and he was um, actually dangerous in there. He was So I had to stop um, working with him, but... I'm greatly challenged, Gene, <laughs> to forgive him. And I know I will Jane, because I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> Jane, I'd I just like to make this summary. Of, uh, I'm just thinking about here's a Jewish girl from New York City, and the road you've taken in life is fascinating where you've gone to. <laughs> And how you've got, you're you're now living in New Mexico. You went through (laughs) Atlanta. You've been involved in prison ministry. You're involved in farming. You're working, you worked in social work. You helped Native Americans. Quite a fascinating life, Jane. Well, thanks, Jean. I guess when you put it like that, it's like, hey, I want to know more. Jean, <laughs> <laughs> we have our we have our next guest on the line, so um, I want to thank you, Jane, for coming on our our show, The Voices of the Cannabis War. And I'm wondering, do you have any final thoughts, or Eugene? Do you have any final thoughts? I would just say thank you so much for including me, and I hope I will be able to share this because it was kind of late trying to figure it out. Can I share it with people like on Facebook so they can yes. go to the site yes. and hear it? We'll get you a link to the show and then you could share it that way. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. And Jane, it's so wonderful to be talking to you out here rather than in there and I, I look forward to seeing you soon. Jane, I, I love you and it for for the listeners' sake Joe already described it before. We were in prison, but yet we found meaning with, with not only uh, the spiritual walk we were in, but with people like Jane Davis who made made life possible in wow, prison. Thank you. That's, that's awesome. Good to know. Very validating, Jean. And I think you need to come out to Santa Fe and spend some time at One Heart Ranch because that's why it was created. It's a place of peace. Okay, my dear. And in the meantime, uh, you know I'm involved with medical marijuana, and we'll we'll we've we've got to keep you on your medicines too. That's right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye, you guys. All right, okay. you guys. Our Thank next you. guest. Thank you. Our next guest. Um, we have the next two guests coming on is going to be Stephanie Landa, who's an ex POW who served four years in prison, and who her son is now in prison for cannabis, and she runs a group called. Uh, called uh, Freedom Grow, and that's where you can load commissary money on a prisoner's commissary. Um, and then we're also, after her, we've got George Monterano, who is going to call in at 945, but is calling in right after we talk to Stephanie, we'll talk to George, and then right after we talk to George, we're going to talk to Tom Corby, a Northern California child coordinator for the Human Solution. George spent 33 years of a life sentence in prison for cannabis, and so we don't want to miss what George has to say about spirituality but first we're going to hear um, what's going on with 
Stephanie Landon and her thoughts about spirituality in prison. Good morning, Stephanie. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I mean, I'm as good as I can be. And <laughs> I and I sent out seven hundred dollars this week. It's really thrilling when I can send out okay. money in between the high times cups because it just means that somebody is like you know paying attention and getting money all the time instead of just when they're going to a fair. So. It's kind of thrilling. I sent it to seven different people. And Mindy, of course, gave me the list. I love her. She's just like, <laughs> my job a lot easier, a lot easier. She, she loves helping you. She's, she's not on the show anymore today because she had some, some things to do this morning. But um, she she was so happy to get to, to be able to help you. It makes her, it makes her feel good to help uh, plant prisoners um, get commissary money. So, yeah, yeah, it really helps everybody. It helps, you know, the people in jail, of course, and they send me really beautiful thank you notes, and everything's great. And for me, jail, um, I kept my wits about me and knew all the time that uh, this was wrong and they were doing a wrong thing and I shouldn't be in jail. So the spirituality part of it, um, I'm not sure. I didn't do praying to get out because I was only there for four years. I knew they were going to keep me the whole time. So um, I guess I, I do yoga and meditation since I was 13. So the spirituality part didn't really change. It's the same in or out for me. Now, do I pray every single day or wish or whatever you call it for my son? Yes. Like, even he has asked for a book on meditation, which is a first. So um, I'm sure he's trying to keep his wits about him. He's in a really horrible place. I'm hoping that they ship him somewhere else because this place is not very good. And, And I can tell his attitude is really hard. But time goes on. He'll get out and... As far as the spirit goes, I think it's with you all the time, in or out. So I don't, I didn't really experience much difference in that. But I want to go and call you next Sunday because I want George to come on. Like I heard you have a whole list. So yeah. I love everybody. If you want to film me next week, freedomgrow.org. We have a donate button. Uh, Stephanie, before you go off, let me just say this for you and for other listeners. In my experience, this is federal prison, but in the prisons I was in, the Zen Buddhists came in. And as far as meditation is concerned, they're the ideal people to learn that with. So you might mention that to your son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any Buddhas in his state prison. Or in I, his reception I don't know area. State yeah. Yeah, it's a lot different than federal prison. I did federal time, and now I get letters from him, and he's in a state reception center, and it is a lot different. Like, I mean, no phone for six months. That's a really rare thing to happen to anybody. Cut off their communication. You can't it hear your mom's me, voice. to me for a year, my dear. Yeah, well, usually, usually in federal prison that doesn't happen. Even in the hole, they gave me a call once, uh, let's see, once every other week. 
So yeah, I'm, that's like you know, that's like being cut off. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a before, horrible thing. Before you came on, uh, Stephanie, I just want to weave this together. Before you came on, we had a lady, Jane Davis, a Jewish lady that I I uh, heard would, her. Yeah, and nice I'm lady. her and you and the 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 spirit of Judaism and the beauty of it and the beauty yeah, of the Yeah, let's go to Santa Fe. Sounds good. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, really, it's a drive. Okay, I'll do it with you. We'll do it together. Okay, cool. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, thank you for coming you for on. Being there. Thank you for thank what you, you do in your ministry, and that's what it is. It's ministry. What you do for bringing money to the, the guy, to the to the prisoners. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Oh, thank you, Jean. I'll see you for breakfast tomorrow. I look forward to it. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Kristen. I wish I was seeing Bye, you for breakfast. You. I, I know one of these days. Love you too. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. Uh, before, Kristen, before we bring on Georgie, uh, I think he's up, must be on the line coming on. Uh, I just yes. wanted to say to for our listeners, I had another. Uh, I had a beautiful lunch here in L.A. with Sherry Sherrod, a, a very wonderful activist, uh, marijuana activist, a wonderful lady, and we had, we're, we're talking about how, what do we do to help get guys out of prison, people who are there still in prison, wonderful lady, just had lunch with her two days ago. Oh, yeah, uh, that's beautiful. Um, so yeah, next we're going to go talk to George Monterano. George Monterano spent 33 years of a life sentence behind bars. Him and Eugene were very, very close friends in prison. Um, George is now a free man who calls into our show every Sunday and is going to talk to us about his take on spirituality in prison. Good morning, George. Hey, hi, guys. Hi, Kristen. Hi, hi Jean. Hi. Okay, spirituality, as uh, as always, uh, I prepared something, and I prepared it very short time to uh, show respect to the show. Okay, so here goes. Ah, Thank you. Prison, prison, when they look, you walk tall. Come night, cell door hard, you face the wall. Breathe deep of the fall. Oh, time goes by. You've remembered how to cry. Oh, yes, and yes again. Go to knee. Humble thyself. Weep if you must. Then, friend, in God you shall trust. Okay. Wow. George, uh, when you say that, I think of a, a saying that I've heard over and over in my life. There is no, there are no agnostics in the in foxholes. I think. Would you say that's true about prison? Uh, eventually, uh, there must be some meaning to it all. Well, uh, I don't want to mention their names because you know some of the guys. These were guys that died in prison, and uh, they had that machoism uh, all the way to the end. But at the end. Uh, and I was with some of them, and I told them, "Listen, you must, you must humble yourself before the Lord, because you're going to the better place." So, uh, you know, what happens to, uh, to what I what I experienced 
with so many, I mean hardcore men that, some men that created themselves into a beast. And uh, I think the farther dark you go, uh, the better you can come into light, strange as it sounds. farther dark you go, the better you come into light. Because, you know, uh, emotions, emotions, even if you try to push them away, okay, they can come back for your own. They can come back to you within your own spirituality. Okay, now that doesn't mean you have to go to the prison chapel. Okay, that doesn't mean you have to uh, uh, sponsor anything within the four walls. Okay, in in any religious setting, you know your, your spirituality is you and with your soul. And uh, there was so so many. Uh, uh, for instance, back in uh, I couldn't understand in Marion uh, back in the eighties. I was there was only there was only three hundred and seventy of the hardest core prisoners in America. Okay, and uh, and uh, we went to mass. We went to mass twice a week. Uh, out of the 370, couldn't go because they were in the control unit. There's no way they would uh, let them out of there unless they would give them uh, their communion from the cell. But there was no one taking it from the cell. Out of the 300 that were still in the lockdown situation, only two went to mass. Me and another gentleman. Okay, and. Uh, and uh, as I would, I remember the first time. Uh, hello. Yes, oh. we're listening. We're listening, okay. George. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My light went on on the phone. I remember the we first time I went to mass. You know, chained. They chained me uh, behind my back, and I was surrounded by four guards with the lieutenant with the with a steel tip baton, and that's how I went to worship. But. Uh, I remember I remember one of the guards, first time I went, one of the guards specifically, he says, you, you, your face looks so at peace. And I says, it is, because uh, I, thank, I thank you, gentlemen, thank you, sir, gentlemen, for letting me worship. And uh, so, you know, your spirituality is with you and your life and your soul. And, uh, you know, well, we all have to we all have to understand that we all have to find that. And I found mine. And then we, I went on to regular prison compounds, maximum security penitentiaries. And Gene, many years, me and Gene, uh, we uh, took care of our spirituality. And uh, and then uh, in the poem, you say they look. Uh, they look you walk tall. They look you walk tall. So uh, when you when they when you have your own spirituality, you don't have to worry about them looking at you, and then putting your shoulder backs and walk tall because you walk tall within yourself, Gene. George, yes, uh, I think you've given the listeners a a vivid picture of uh, that side of, of of prison life, which, of course. We were surrounded by walls, but it could be the same. Wouldn't you say, George, it should be the same for you in the uh, in the free world, too, as a free person? Yes, there is a right now, yes, I mean, you know, you must continue. You must continue in your own character. What I, what I don't want to see, uh, what I don't like to see is you lose your character. I have a personal character, and I carry myself in a certain manner. Okay, but that doesn't mean you cannot... You know, continuing your spiritual growth. Right now, I'm working with the priest in our area, where the church that I grew up with, 
the church is in dire straits, and I'm going to start working to uh, do some fundraising and stuff like that. So, you know, it's uh, your spirituality you carry on your shoulders to the best of your ability. So, you know, you cannot be led. You cannot be led to that. You know, it's within you. And, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate it. Uh, I've seen how you carried yourself over those years, Gene, and we went through some tough times, ladies and gentlemen. You have no idea. We went through some tough times. But, uh, we not, you know, in, in prison it's so easy to slip over uh, where you lose your dignity and your morality. And then when you lose that, your spirituality is gone. It's gone also. So, uh, you know, we, we as men, and not only us, the women incarcerated, there's so much men in there that uh, they're human beings. They're human beings, you know, and they want to care for their soul in their own manner. And, you know, that's what the politicians don't understand, and someday I hope to address that in a very, very major audience. Gene? George, uh, for the audience's sake, uh, can you describe, I know you're very active now that you're out in many different things and they're calling you to speak at different events and so on and uh, teach young, uh, younger people, university people, different lessons. What is it, what is it, what are you communicating to them? Well, well, first thing that I, then I'm there, I want to be uh, in their life and, and whether small or large, first thing you have to communicate is your, your personality. And then from that, the connection becomes uh, sort of soldered, welded. So that's what, like uh, Thursday, I have to, from 9.30 to 1.30, I have to walk uh, two uh, <clears throat> fourth-grade classes. I'm, a, I'm one of the chaperones to two fourth-grade classes to, you know, some historical areas. And, of course, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And... Uh, and so you know you must you must do these things you must and you can't do them because you want to uh, shine some light on yourself. No, you have to do them because it's your inner warmth that wants you to do it. So I'll I'll be walking Thursday with all these children, and I actually have to pack a bag lunch because you know you have to pay attention to the situation. So you know it's just and you know and it, no matter how long your life lasts and. And uh, it's, a, it's a long walk with you and yourself and how you want to address your soul, Gene. Uh, George, so you're telling me that uh, you who did all of that time, uh, I was there for a good part of that time that you were down, and you're telling me now that the, the community actually lets, uh, it gives the young people to you to help guide them, is that what you're saying, George? Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually a chaperone, one of the chaperones for, geez, it must be about 50 kids, and I was uh, procured by the school, the principal, and uh, because they felt that you know there's so much trust within me. And matter of fact, before schools end on the East Coast here, schools end uh, the latter, latter part of June, I'll be addressing the two eighth grade classes at this school. It's called Meredith School about a block and a half from where I live. So, uh, you know, and then I guess they, they would not ask me if there was some kind of spiritual connection, emphasis, spiritual connection. Gene. 
George, uh, that's wonderful. I'd like to also uh, ask you, uh, I understand the other day you were in front of uh, the university crowd. What did you tell those young people? Oh, uh, well, you mean the University of Penn or the Un- Philadelphia yeah. University? Well, you do so many things. Yeah, well, what happened is I took a separate, uh, Philadelphia University, I have a family member, she graduated in psychology, and they, uh, some of the students heard about me, so it was a very, very big building, Philadelphia Convention Center, sort of having the Democratic Convention, and I took a portion, a good portion, there was 300 graduating students, and I took a portion, now these, these were people who graduated in, uh, in uh, <clears throat> psychology, etc., and I took them aside and explained to them about, uh, you know, what, what, is, what should be expected. And I told them, before you judge, please listen. Please listen. Because uh, I created myself into some kind of a mentor in so many fields within prison. But the first thing you have to do is listen, and you have to smile, and then you have to get that individual to like you. And, again, that's all part of your interspirituality. And it went very well, and then I'll keep continuing to do all this as much as I can. <clears throat> Gene? George, uh, I think you're bringing up a very important point that I, I'd like to bring out, bring out for the listeners' focus, and that is the lack of judgmental uh, view. Uh, the other guests on the program also mentioned that and brought that up in their ministry, how important that was. Uh, could you comment again, once again, on, on what that, what, what, what's that all about and why is it so special for prisoners, this thing of uh, lack of judgmental sense? Well, you know, when they, you know, when your prisoner comes in, there's so much peer pressure, he's confused. And uh, he starts, the majority of them, not all, they start to lose themselves, okay? They start to lose themselves. And the only way they can bring them out is get around the right individuals, the right groups. And, uh, and, and, and be, it could be in the cell where you talk about the, the best philosophies in life, whether it's re, in the religion sense, etc. You know, you have to get around the right people. You have to get around the right people. And I think that's so for all walks of life in and out but prison you know the dark you know uh the the heart the hardness and the darkness rides a fast horse so these people these especially these young guys come in and then they get confused and they don't understand they don't understand the basics of paying sense to their self and their own inter character gene Well, Eugene, we've only got about 12 minutes left, and we still got time on, and then we got to do closing. So. Yeah. Okay, you guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you, George. All right. Thanks. All right, Gene, I'll talk to you later. Christine. I will talk to you after the show. That was George Mentorano, a good, a very close friend, a, a brother to me in my uh, time incarcerated and now also after, after incarceration. And, uh, by the way, for our listeners' sake, I want to tell you, and Christian and I and Mindy, we're getting a show together next week called Life After Life. We're going to interview lifers who are out and doing things as free men. Yeah, not necessarily just life sentences, Eugene. We're going to, uh, Mindy's also asking, uh, Irma Allred to come on the show. 
and Irma had just spent the 19 or 21 years in prison. So um, I'm also getting, I'm going to ask Teddy DeLisi, who spent 26 years in prison, to come on the show. And Eugene, you've got a couple friends that got out of their life sentences that we're going to have come on the show. And they're going to talk to all of us about um, what they've been up to since, since they got out. Life after prison. Beautiful topic. Okay, do we have Tom Corby coming on, Christian? Yes, we do. Um, so, yeah, so stay tuned for next week's show, Life After Life. And that's the cool little name we came up with it. So everybody can listen and find out just how great our, our plant prisoners really are after life sentence. Okay, so next we're going to hear from Tom Corby. He's going to give us a Northern California update. Um, we have just a, not very many, much time left for the show, so... Um, we got to get our Northern California news in real quick, um, and then we're going to be going to close. Good morning, good morning, Tom. How are you? Uh, top of the day, all. Uh, always like to thank uh, all the folks on the front line: Eugene, Christian, uh, Mindy, Becca, uh, our Golden Vision uh, with the Human Solution International has always been to schedule cannabis and prohibition. And for all our POWs, no one should be jailed for a plant and die in prison for a plant like Christian's father, Richard Floor, R.I.P. Uh, I honor so much um, Eugene and, and George Mark Toronto, Craig Cecil, uh, all the folks that have spent uh, time in prison. The little time I spent in jail, I get kind of choked up uh, how disrupts lives and families and I always point out uh, when defendants first get out of jail and we call for them I always ask folks have you or someone you know been arrested for cannabis if so you're going to be scared you're going to be misled you won't know where to turn you're going to be lost, alone, and broke. Do you know your rights? You're going to be afraid, unsure, and you're going to be intimidated. Intimidated. We all were. Uh, we've all been there, and we've done that. That's how we can help. Come join us at the Human Solution International dot org. If you have a case, <laughs> uh, post it in our calendar. Click on calendar. Post it. We'll muster support for you. Court support. Why is it so important? It's not only to support the defendant and be there and watch his back, but to bear witness to the injustices that go on by these courtrooms. Uh, our mindset is always trial. You're going to take them on to trial. Whether whether uh, you're just fine for the best deal or to resolve your case. Your mindset is that you're going to trial. If more people, I believe that only 5-6% of folks actually go on to trial, we wouldn't be here today. If even 10% of people uh, would not take these DSC bargains that sound really good, that screw you, and would take them on to trial, we would have won the war a long time ago. Our mindset, Don and I, 
our whole time we fought our case for three years was we're going to trial. And we finally resolved our case uh, after three years without the support of friends and people. Uh, it would have been a much harder task. We talk about trial. We have Alex Lyons and Nick Moran right here, my neighbors, and they're both going on to trial. Uh, Alex Lyons is going on to pre-trial conference uh, June 9th at 1.30 p.m. That's number one Court Street in Oroville, California. Uh, come, we always talk about local people, if you can come, a 50-mile radius. Uh, of course, the board's always important to be there for many reasons. Uh, and, of course, especially when the jury is picked, that's when we will fill, try to fill the courtroom. Also, uh, mind you, that dress and code of conduct are so important uh, and, and uh, respect inside the courtrooms. Uh, also, we have Nick Moran. He's here with his mom. We talked about this. Joy came all the way down for her son from Michigan. And how, again, how this disrupts lives and families and uh, wasting time, taxpayers' money over a plant. Uh, Nick Moran's going on to actually jury jury trial selection. Uh, it's not up. It's in July, July 6th at 8:30 a.m. right here in Butte County, number one Court Street. Also, uh, I want to I want to uh, shout out to folks like Nick and Alex Lyon and all the folks who are standing their ground and and uh, not giving up.
for another great historical show. Come join us. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Trish. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, we have one more guest who would like to talk to us real quick about Lance Glore. His name is Jeff Eichen, and he is shooting a documentary called Lifers. Uh, so Jeff is going to be really excited to hear that our next week's show is about Lifers, who just recently been released. Good morning, Jeff. We don't have much time because we're about to go into closing in a few seconds. We only have about four minutes left. But how are you doing this morning, and um, what's going on with Lance and with your documentary? Well, um, I haven't had my coffee, so I don't have much in me to talk, so I'll be really quickly. Um, his parents were um, were very, very, very upset, and they didn't get to bring their child home, and they said it was a sting operation, and there are so many details. When I put out a mini-episode, I'll let everybody know where to listen to it, but they were just, they were just very bad, strong. In their heart and their spirituality, um, since goes about spirituality today, in holding people and uh, ready to do what we're all speak about. Lance owned a a small dispensary, and they came in and seized all of his property, and they laughed at him when they were taking his property away. Um, Yeah, Jeff, this is a case that um, you went to. You went to his detention hearing and now on here's the thing with lance is this is in tacoma washington in a state where we call it legal here and on june 3rd he's got a hearing it's his sentencing hearing and he can get anywhere at the lowest of five years the prosecutor's recommending 10 but if the judge wants to he can sentence him to up to 60. so you know the judge usually sides with the prosecution, so he's probably not going to get 60 years. But it is always um, it's something to always keep in the back of our head that that is that is a sentence that is that that can be hand, handed down to him. Um, so you're going well, to be there almost, with your cameras. Yes, that? I will be there. I will be there for that. And he was doing similar actions as your parents, doing a legal operation. He had a dispensary and was paying his taxes. What the heck is going on? You know, and why are the feds coming in and messing all of this up? Let's end prohibition, everybody, and make paper, fiber, and fuel and get all of our prisoners home. Right. Now, those raids were a victim of the 2011 raids um, that affected my family, but about about 90 different families. I think they raided about 90 different dispensaries throughout that whole entire year. Um, and Lance was a victim of those raids, and he's uh, most of the people have been often sent off to prison or made plea deals or testified against each other or, you know, they made a big, huge mess. But um, Lance is one of the few people that stood up and said, I'm not going to tolerate this. Take me to trial and was snitched on and the jurors didn't know about their jury rights. And anyhow, now he's facing up to 60 years in prison. So, um, Jeff, I want to next week, I just want to let you know that we're having some major guests on the show that have been released from their life sentences. We're going to find out what they're up to. So we'd love to have you um, call in next week and be part of our show. But um, we're going to let you go for today because we're about to do our closing. I want to thank you for calling in. Thank you for all you do. Hemp, hemp, hooray. Yes, let's free our prisoners. All right, you guys, that was Jeff Eichen. You're welcome, Jeff. That was Jeff Eichen who is trying to free our prisoners by shooting a documentary to show that their sacrifices are worth to the rest of the world. So um, check out Jeff's 
uh, documentary, uh, lifers.com, I believe it is, what he's got going on so far, and he's planning on presenting all kinds of stuff to the world in the future. So stay tuned for that. And we are just a few minutes in overtime, so we're just going to go directly into closing. But first, Eugene, before we go into closing, do you have any thoughts? And it looks like Joe Joe, um, is still on the line. Um, Joe Valverde, um, do either of the two of you have any final thoughts before I go into closing? Let Joe speak, because I've never known yet Joe to be without words. (laughs) I just think it's really great to have this show. And it's really great that all these people are coming forward to try and end this craziness that's going on. And I just thank you very, very much uh, for the opportunity to, to share my thoughts with you. And it was great to hear Jane's voice again. And just keep up the great work that uh, you're, you're really getting somewhere with this whole thing. Well, thank you, Bill. Joe. It's more than it's more than us. It's a it's a movement, and it's the whole theme of our program today, the spirituality, the unity of the world, when it's coming, when it comes together in a, in a proper purpose of, of, of justice and, uh, well, like, like Jane says, that, that thing that runs through it all, the lack, lack of real uh, judgmental uh, focus on life and rather opening up the love of, of human beings. Amen to that, Jane. <laughs> All right, okay, thank, thank you, Joe. Thank, thank you, listeners, for listening to us today. All right, now I'm going to go into closing, and as soon as I'm done with closing, we're going to hear a, a song called No More War. But first, we have to thank everybody, um, especially CCHI 2016, for paying for this radio show, for giving us this plant platform to sponsor uh, Voices. Um, we also want to thank Becca for screening today and Mindy for producing our show. And, of course, Eugene for his 25 years and his freedom to be out today and all of our guests and all of our listeners who listen to the show today. Um, and I just, we just got to give a couple messages. First and foremost, you need to know what your jury rights are. Um, most of our lifers most of our lifers, and a lot of our other prisoners would have been saved just by knowing that they have the power to say not guilty if they're ever called a jury duty. If they think the law is bad, you can say not guilty, and you can never be punished for your verdict. The government can never come and show you retaliation. All it means is you did a good thing. You saved someone from a potential life sentence. Um, so just, you know, use your heart when you're in the jury, in the jury room. Also, we want to say um, uh, one more thing is please don't snitch. If you are involved in a raid or involved with anything that has to do with snitching, you know, if we all stand together and not go behind each other's backs and tell the government, they wouldn't have cases. They wouldn't have anything on us. And we would, a lot more of us would be free. Um, also, um, Richard DeLisi is um, still in prison after his 28th year in, in, in a state prison in Florida. And we're trying to bring some attention. So if you are watching this show, you'll see some uh, little images come up with a number, number to the governor, Rick Scott. I urge you all to pick up that phone, especially tomorrow morning when it's Monday, and call Rick Scott and just ask him to free Richard DeLisi. He has the power. He can do it. So um, with that said, we would just want to say rest in peace to some of our people who cannot listen to this show today, like my own father, Richard Floor. Um, talk about a spiritual man. Um, just, just in his incarceration um, and throughout his death, I have found my own spirituality, my own places where I 
um, find my father at. And that's what keeps me going every day and keeps me fighting this world because um, at a time when, you know, you feel alone and the government took your family and all you have left is yourself to support, you know, the rest of the family, which doesn't work really well without your dad there for encouragement. Um, I found my dad in other places in this world, just not physical places. So um, that's kind of what spirituality in prison has led me to, even though I wasn't in prison, um, is is um, staying connected to my father, even though he's gone. Um, so what they did to him is shackled him to a bed and tortured him to death, and that's not right. So rest in peace, Dad. And rest in peace to Stacey Tice's Uncle Gary Shepard and Mary Jane Jones. Um, her aunt, who the federal government shot down over 21 years ago, and they shot Gary over 20 times. They also shot down Mary Jane Jones, who held their son, Baby Jake, in their arm, in her arms um, during a raid. Um, and Gary lost his life immediately, and Mary Jane Jones survived and just passed away just recently due to cancer. Rest in peace, Gary and Mary Jane. Also rest in peace to Jack Carroll, who wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes, where he discusses all the real reasons why our people are going to prison and the controversy over the plant. Please get educated and, and look, read that book. And also to Peter McWilliams, who died on, while he was serving probation, and he was using the plant for his nausea. He was serving time on probation for growing his plants. Peter McWilliams was a civil rights leader who left behind many, many motivational books, one that personally helped me deal with death when my father died about dealing with death. So check out Peter McWilliams' books. Also rest in peace to Bill Lamorte, who was Eugene, Eugene's friend in prison and Joe's friend in prison. Um, Bill Lamorte passed away on the 4th of July while serving a life or was, was a life sentence for cannabis. Um, Bill was grabbed his cart in the prison yard and died of a major heart attack. He'll never be forgotten. Also to Larry Harvey, whose whole family was raided and his whole family was facing federal, federal charges. Well, Larry didn't appreciate that, so he went all the way out to D.C. to try to fight for everyone's rights. In the meantime, he died of cancer. Also, rest in peace to D. Young for giving us Adam. And to Curtis Cecil, who, who um, was a young boy who passed away while his dad, Craig Cecil, was serving a life sentence. Um, Craig called in today on the radio show, and we just want to say rest in peace to his son, uh, Curtis, who he could not be there for, also um, because of his incarceration. Also, the Spencer Poptis and Cashy Hyde, who are two little children who were using the plant to cure their brain tumors, and it was working until they, the, the places where they were getting their medicine from, their caregivers were raided, and children couldn't get their medicine anymore. And since then, their tumors grew, and we lost our two little precious, precious young children in, in this war. And also to Bernardo Marfumo Martinez, who was a very close friend of mine who was trying to make movies and videos and plaster them around the world, not just the United States, for a worldly level to end the war so our prisoners can come home. And to Lay Salmons, who... The Onak tribe was sending medicine to, and the post office intercepted it. And in the meantime, Elaine's um, symptoms um, that were killing her got really bad, and she passed away right in the middle of the war. And rest in peace to Oscar, who was Eugene and George's friend, who they say he went to FCI in the sky. Thank you for listening to today's show. And please help us end prohibition today so that nobody else has to go to jail or die for our planet. I hope you enjoy this next song that we're about to sing. It's, it's called From Cushite Siksa, which is the name of the show, is, or the name of the song is called No More War. Have a beautiful Sunday and, and Prohibition. Thank you for listening.
family when times are tight. We are in a recession, suffering with depression. So lower your Bibles and load your weapons. How many times must we pray before we start losing our blessings? How many loved ones must we lose before we tell ourselves a lesson? Reach one, each one, teach one, empower the